hey everybody, and welcome back. In case you haven't had enough, it's Glenn here for yet another episode of the Raised by Whoops fake radio show. I'm going to take a break this week from making fun of myself and passing it off as comedy. I don't like to be repetitive, and I try to be cognizant of when I go to the same well too often. On the topic of comedically pointing out one's flaws, though, I do believe it's important that we poke fun and laugh at ourselves. This goes without saying, but so much of what we see day-to-day on the internet and in the real world can be described as self-preserving hubris, protective swagger, and absolute certainty in our opinions. I'm not against healthy confidence and being proud of one's achievements, but when done excessively or in a boastful manner, it can be off-putting, at least for me. That's one reason why I contrast this vanity an allergy to admitting weakness that's become all too common with making fun of myself and laughing at my many faults, failures, and misguided analysis. I think what I'm really trying to say here is that I believe we can connect more meaningfully through our vulnerabilities and embarrassing moments than we can through relentlessly arguing our points of view and gloating about our talents and achievements. Maybe this just happens in my family and friend circle, But when I get together with people I haven't seen in a while, there's a lot of superficial, self-congratulatory talk that occurs. A new car that was purchased, an expensive vacation that was taken, a charitable donation that was made. Rarely does anyone mention messing something up in the workplace or struggling with an addiction. You get the idea. We seem very comfortable talking about our personal success and virtuous behaviors but we clam up when it comes to our failures or character flaws. I get it. It's hard talking about things we're embarrassed by or things we're not good at, but that's my point. I think we need to get better at talking more openly about what we struggle with in hopes of establishing a deeper connection with each other. Over the summer, a friend who I had fallen out of touch with went through a breakup. This friend called me out of the blue to inform me of the split and that phone call kicked off a series of lengthy conversations about the myriad ways we have both fucked up our fair share of relationships. We discussed how my friend could learn from their mistakes and be a better partner going forward. We also talked about acknowledging our weaknesses and working on them to hopefully become better people in general. The point is that we connected deeply over mistakes we've made, and it has revived our friendship. Sure, We've both had our accomplishments as well over the years, but at times, it was those very accomplishments that served to distance us from one another through jealousy and selfish competitiveness. Again, I'm not suggesting that we can't talk about things we are proud of, but when hubris and righteousness become the primary way in which we communicate, it can be alienating for those around us. Anyhow, this is all to say that I use self-deprecation as a way of disarming myself or deliberately exposing my weaknesses to try and make myself more approachable. I have nothing to protect or hide. I'm a flawed, mistake-prone person, albeit a flawed, mistake-prone person that cares about people, and in addition to my flaws, there are a few things I do well, which puts me in the same camp as most of the population. I have no problem being a cog in something much bigger than myself. So many of us are taught from a young age to stand out, or to be an individual. From children's shows to superhero movies, we are told that we are unique and special and the world should treat us as such. I feel like this messaging can promote isolation and separation, 
and we can all afford to look more closely at our similarities rather than how we can stand out in a crowd. Some of you may hear this as a loser's refrain, and that's fair, but I'll continue to highlight my weaknesses in these introductions to serve as a gentle reminder that no matter how great we may be at certain things, we're terrible at others, and we should embrace both equally. If you've listened this far, thanks for indulging my saccharine and irritatingly pompous attempt at an inspirational speech. I'll also provide the caveat that my perspective on things changes with the wind, so I may wake up tomorrow and proselytize about the importance of sticking our chests out and being overly confident in order to give the false impression that we have our shit together. There's also the very real possibility that I'm projecting my own bullshit onto others. I'm open to any and all theories. Please write in at raisedbywhoops.com to tell me if or where I went astray with these ponderings. Okay, now on to the show. This week's episode is a mini-essay of sorts on my respect and admiration for the late Gord Downey, a Canadian musician and poet. I've spent a lot of time consuming Gord's artistic output, and I wanted to talk a bit about his impact on me and many others who love his work. Before we get there, though, I'd like to play you into the episode with a song that I haven't stopped listening to for a few months now. It's called Help Me Remember, and it was written by Hayes Carl, a Texas native and country folk singer-songwriter. The song comes from the experiences Carl has had in his family with Alzheimer's and dementia, and it's written from the perspective of a person afflicted with the disease. I don't have any personal or familial experience with Alzheimer's, but the song does a great job at capturing loss and grief in a general sense, as well as dealing with the specifics of that wretched disease. It's an incredibly powerful and poignant song that more people should be aware of, in my opinion. Enjoy the music and the episode, and we'll be back before too long, barring a catastrophe. Thanks for tuning in, folks, and take care. Ancient old oak tree is starting to turn The same shades as the flames of this fire That I'm watching burn There's an unfinished crossword Resting on the arm of this chair And for the life of me I can't recall If I'm the one who left it there It feels so familiar as I watch you walk in the room And at first I don't recognize you But then I damn sure recognize that perfume And you kneel down beside me and gently take hold of my hand I say baby I'm scared and I'm not sure know who I am Can you help me remember who it is that I used to be Can you tell me the story of my family, my hopes and my dreams Did I 
try to stand for something What I always fold Did I do things when I was young To be proud of when I was old Was I a house on fire Or was I just a slow burning him Could you please Help me remember This ring on my finger is golden, faded and worn Like it was forged in the fires of love And has weathered the storms Try to make sense of these old photographs on the wall But they're just faces and places that I don't know at all Can you help me remember, feel like I'm losing my mind children stand up for my friends how much damage did i do did i ever make amends did i try to make a difference did i give a damn was i believed in god and his plan did i light up your life like a full moon at night in december could you please Help me remember I need you To help me I generally don't care about things that find their way into popular culture. I don't necessarily shun popular things, although sometimes I do. I just like what I like, and for the most part, my taste doesn't align with what's trending. A more concise description of someone like me is a cynic or an outcast, although a more flattering and less accurate term might be maverick. For instance, I don't have much interest in the Star Wars or Marvel franchises. I don't own a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, and I can't stand Drake, Lana Del Rey, Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, or any other pop star who takes up way too much space and travels with an entourage. I've also never purchased an Instant Pot, 
a Roomba, AirPods, or an essential oil diffuser. I'll end the hate fest there. These irrelevant and less than fascinating insights into my personality are not an attempt to impress through hipster indifference. I just don't give a shit about what captures the attention of the masses, and I couldn't care less about keeping up or staying current. And if I'm being totally honest, I do have a bit of a contrarian streak that rejects the algorithmic, force-fed nature of what we purchase and what we're entertained by. To put a bow on this rant that no one asked me to go on, I'm aware that my cynical view of the world is a major impediment to me enjoying life, so with that in mind, I do try extra hard to see the upside in things. In other words, I'm not nearly as big of an asshole as I sound. All that being said, once in a while, someone or something breaks into the mainstream that's too appealing or practical for me to ignore. I wear Birkenstock sandals because they fit my abnormally wide feet and they're comfortable as hell. I drive a Toyota Corolla because they rarely break down. And even though it's one of the most popular books of all time, The Catcher in the Rye is among my favorite works of fiction. However, neither Holden Caulfield nor my worn-out Birkenstocks are what I want to talk about in this piece. Instead, I'd like to shed some light on a Canadian icon whose popularity at different times throughout his career rivaled that of globally recognized Canucks like Wayne Gretzky, Joni Mitchell, or Terry Fox. To be clear, he never achieved the same international acclaim as the aforementioned folks. However, within the borders of the Great White North, I'm certain he could have run a successful campaign for Prime Minister. I'm referring to the singer-songwriter, poet, environmentalist, social justice advocate, and tragically hip frontman Gord Downey. And despite his fame and pervasiveness in Canadian society, along with my aversion to hero worship and most things popular, Gord ranks in my top five most admired people of all time. Maybe top three. I want to start with some biographical context. Gord was born in Kingston, Ontario in 1964 and was raised in a smaller neighboring town. From what I can gather, and information is scarce due to Gord's fiercely private nature, he was a fairly typical Canadian kid who loved hockey and the outdoors. He was particularly fond of Lake Ontario, which was a stone's throw from his childhood home. His love of the lake would remain a constant throughout his life. He spent the entirety of his childhood and adolescence in the Kingston area, and liked it so much apparently that he stuck around for university. Gord attended Queen's, one of Canada's most prestigious institutions of higher learning, where he earned a degree in English literature. It was while attending Queen's that he first met his future bandmates in the Tragically Hip. There's a much more detailed origin story of the band, but essentially, they formed in 1984 and began formally releasing music in 1987. Initially, the Hip were seen as a straight-ahead blues rock band with Gord as their shaggy-haired, enigmatic lead singer and lyricist. An unfussy, blue-collar outfit that appealed to the college crowd and went well with a Friday night and a couple of Molson Canadians. Their first three full-length records, and arguably their most enduring, were massive hits within Canada and established them as one of the country's premier bands and live acts. The songs on these albums were heavy on the bar band aesthetic, 
with catchy guitar riffs and lyrics penned by Gord that dealt with his interest in history, geography, literature, and sports, as well as both Canadian and American cultural minutia, among other esoteric topics. Beginning with their fourth full-length record, Day for Night, the Hips started their evolution from a college rock bar band into a moodier, more experimental outfit that took bigger risks lyrically and sonically. With these risks came the inevitable alienation of some of their fans, but throughout many albums with many different production angles, the band remained hugely popular in Canada, even if that godlike popularity didn't reach beyond Canadian soil. To be clear, the Hip had a global fan base. It just wasn't anything close to what they attracted in their homeland. In the midst of the Hip's burgeoning success, Gord began sprinkling in solo albums every few years or so. These records were quieter and more introspective, blending Gord's lyrical genius with more eclectic instrumentation. With his first solo effort, Coke Machine Glow, Gord included a book of poetry with the album, which cemented his status as a literary force, as well as a legendary frontman and singer-songwriter. In addition to his success in the music and literary worlds, Gord was a husband and a father of four. He also used his name recognition and platform to promote many other causes dear to him. He was a champion of the Toronto art scene, where he had moved after the hip's formation, always propping up artists and bands he felt were worthy of attention. He was also a Lake Ontario waterkeeper, which is an organization dedicated to maintaining and sustaining clean, fresh water. Furthermore, he worked hard to shed much-needed light on the rights and concerns of the Indigenous peoples in Canada. In May of 2016, it was announced via the Tragically Hips website that Gord had terminal brain cancer. He had suffered a seizure while visiting family in Kingston in December of 2015, and was told of the grim prognosis a few days later after further evaluation. Gord had the tumor surgically removed and went through several rounds of radiation before breaking the news to the public. After sharing the awful news, the band went on to say that Gord felt well enough to perform one last cross-country tour before the cancer inevitably returned, and with the help of his bandmates and a traveling medical team, plans were put into motion. On July 22, 2016, the band started the tour in Victoria, B.C., and continued on through Alberta and Manitoba before a string of dates in Ontario, culminating with a final show in Gord's hometown of Kingston on August 20th that was streamed on the CBC, Canada's national public broadcaster. To say these shows were emotional is an obvious understatement, but Gord made it through both physically and emotionally, and the entire country was grateful and inspired by his courage in the face of a terribly dealt hand. Gord made a few more public appearances after this final tour, including a couple solo performances of his October 2016 record, The Secret Path, which was a concept album about Chani Wenjak, a young indigenous boy who died in 1966 after escaping from an Indian residential school. In December 2016, the Assembly of First Nations honored Gord for his work on reconciliation by giving him the name Wakapi Omani, which means walks with the stars in the Lakota language. His last public appearance was a fundraiser on Parliament Hill in Ottawa in July of 2017. He died in October of that year. 
Gord endeared himself to the entire country of Canada and beyond because he was unapologetically himself. He floated between multiple worlds and refused to be placed in a box. He was an avid outdoorsman who loved nature, and he was also an incredibly sensitive and talented poet. He adored Canada's national sport of hockey and was also an expressive dancer and style icon. He loved his home country of Canada, yet he was far from a nationalist. I could go on. The point is that Gord was complicated and layered, and he was proud of being difficult to pin down. Throughout his career, the hip were perpetually labeled as Canada's band, but Gord was never fully comfortable with that designation. Sure, he wrote and sang plenty about Canadian geography, history, and culture in general, but he also wrote and sang a great deal about the United States and other countries. He didn't belong to anyone or anything. I like to think that the only things he served were his art, the people he loved, and his work toward the betterment of society at large. As I said at the beginning of this, I'm inclined toward cynicism, which I'm not proud of, and I'm easily put off by obnoxious, fake, or self-congratulatory behavior. For me, Gord was the antidote to that. He once sang in his song, Spoon, that help is all we to this dumb planet bring. He embodied that sentiment and was a breath of fresh air in a sometimes suffocating and stagnant world. Canada lost a giant of a human when Gord died, but I know that his unique and generous spirit will live on through his kids and all the environmental and humanitarian work he accomplished. If you don't know about Gord, look him up. You'll be glad you did.
Thanks for tuning in to the Raised by Whoops fake radio show. This is Glenn. Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that story, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you have a short story you'd like us to tell, or even some music you'd like to share, you can reach out via the website, raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Until next time, thanks. Take care.